0: It is good to be with you today, even if for the most part, it's virtual. It's a little crazy, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm, or standing here, and I'm looking around. I see a few people over here, a few people there, my wife there, and empty pews. And yet I know that we are joined together as God's people by his spirit, and we are coming now to the preaching of his word. Uh, In my own mind, an awesome responsibility, Uh, and my hope and my prayer is today we would take encouragement uh, from the gospel of grace as it is found Uh, in Daniel chapter 1. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Daniel chapter 1. and Let us hear the word of the Lord. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility used without blemish, and of good appearance and skillful in wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank, they were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Meshach, uh, Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four ewes, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them was none found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we come into your presence today, as we hear your word as it is read as it is proclaimed, my prayer this morning is that your people would hear your word and that it would come with strength and power. I pray that you would give me words, that you would give your people hearts and minds to receive, and that through it, Lord, you would build your church. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It has been it continues to be a bit of a crazy year isn't it by now i suspect we are getting used to or maybe tired of things being so topsy turvy it has been a strange and difficult year the the, <clears throat> the pandemic has all has us all I don't know how to say, we're just over it, and yet we can't escape it yet. But you know, it's not just the pandemic. Our world feels like it's falling apart. Maybe you felt a certain simpatico with the, the psalmist of Psalm 137, which we read this morning, when you heard that plaintive cry, how can we sing this, the Lord's song in a foreign land? And of course, this, this question comes out of a, a real situation. The Jews, God's chosen people, are languishing. In exile. They're being taunted by their captors. Sing us one of your songs of Zion. And of course what is running through their minds is. Where is Yahweh? What's happening here? Is it over? Are we no longer God's special people? His covenant people? How can we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? This is the question of a people in exile remembering their past glories. How can we sing the Lord's song in a place like this? How can we sing the Lord's song at a time like this? This is not just a Lamentation of God's people from the ancient past. Does it not resonate in our world today? How in the world have things gotten so far out of whack? How are we to live? In times like this, should we just hunker down? Should we just sort of get into our holy huddle, sort of duck our heads and protect ourselves? I think the book of Daniel is written to answer questions like this, to respond to the psalmist's plaintiff cry, how do we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? the answer to this question is themes through the life of this young man who has been taken from his own land as a teenager and carried off to another plant land a place where he will live the rest of his long life in and through daniel's life we see that it is possible for the lord's people to sing the Lord's song, no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter where they find themselves. And it is in this context that I want us to think about this biography of this, this great man of God, Daniel. Though at the beginning, he's not a man, he's a mere boy in his early teens. And as we look at this first chapter, I think we will find three things that were buried deep in Daniel's soul. First of all, we find a a young man who was conscious, aware of the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, who was shaping his destiny. We begin to see this in in verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2, Daniel gives us something like a split-screen picture of the days in which he lives. You know the experience. Events are happening. And sometimes there are two different cameras from two different perspectives, and it is when you get both those perspectives that you begin to better understand what's going on. And if we are to fully understand what is happening overall, we need to take into account both of these perspectives simultaneously. Daniel does this in the first two verses. In verse 1, he begins to set the scene from the perspective of history. He tells us what is taking place From the human perspective, what might be recorded in the history books, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. It goes on to tell us that Jerusalem was captured by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, that the sacred articles of the temple were confiscated, carried off to the temple of the gods of, the ba- of Babylon and placed there. These were the trophies of triumph of the Babylonian gods. The symbolism is that Israel's god now worships at the feet of the Babylonian gods. From the perspective of human history, these were the days in which Daniel lived. This is the season of lament we find in Psalm 137. Yahweh's name has been defiled. The symbols of God's presence have been confiscated. God's house lies in ruins. God's people are a laughingstock among the nations. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? You can well imagine how the hearts of those now languishing in a foreign land would feel so crushed. But do you see what Daniel recognized? Even as these things are going on, as he began to discern the other side of the split screen of human history, the other side, which is always there, though at times the people of God failed to see it, written into the histories of the disasters that had fallen on God's people were these words at the beginning of of verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. It was the Lord who gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar the Great the thing that in the midst of this apparent historical tragedy that gripped Daniel's imagination, the thing I think that ultimately stabilized him in Babylon was that not even the worst that the powers of darkness could do to the people of God was able to overthrow the powerful hand of God in shaping human history. And Daniel's understanding that that hand was shaping his own personal destiny. The thing that grips him in more than one place in this chapter is this sense that God is in complete control of the situation. That God, as it were, is raising up barriers against the shining forth of his glorious name only to break down these barriers in order to display that even in the the midst of the darkness of humanity's sin, he reigns, he rules, and that there will be people of God whose hearts are longing to sing the Lord's song even in the midst of darkness. But Daniel is not only conscious of the hand of God who is shaping his destiny. Uh, secondly, Daniel had a unique sense of the powers of darkness and the manner of, of their activity. The events described in Daniel Wallen are, of course, historical events. But like so many events that are described for us in Scripture, they are all part of a larger pattern on display here in Daniel 1. The the pattern goes back into the dim and distant events found in the earlier chapters of Genesis It is at that point when God is about to call out his man, Abraham, out of Ur of the Chaldees, and to to, from Abraham to create a people that are his people. Just before that, what we find is that there are men who have already begun to build their own city, their own tower that would reach into the heavens, that would glorify not God, but man. From that point on to the very end of Scripture, in the book of Revelation, we often read of the two cities, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, the city of Jerusalem and the city of Babylon. And the book of Daniel is one of those places in Scripture where the two cities come into direct conflict with one another. And Daniel finds himself in the middle of that conflict. He finds himself living in the midst of the enemy-occupied territory. and and he is conscious of the myriad of ways that the city of Babylon sought to envelop him, the subtle plots to bring him down, to confuse his understanding, and to destroy the testimony of God's grace in his life. The remarkable thing is that Daniel had some sense that his whole life was a battleground between Jerusalem and Babylon, between the powers of darkness and the kingdom of God. Daniel begins to notice the subtle ways he was being seduced. What did the powers of darkness do? We we see in verse 5 that Daniel saw the ways the powers of darkness sought to corrupt him. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. Daniel was to be given the delicacies of the king's table, the finest of wines, the best of meats, prepared by the the most uh, superb of chefs. It would be kind of like going to the best restaurants in New York City every single day of the week. So what's the problem here? Where is the corrupting influence? Oftentimes you hear that the problem was that the food had been offered first to the gods of Babylon. But as you read the text, there's actually no hint that this is the problem. In fact, one commentator has has noted that the veggies that Daniel wanted the freedom to use instead would likely have been offered up to the Babylonian gods as well. The temptation is a a bit more subtle, a bit more modern. Nebuchadnezzar is softening up these young men from Israel with what we might describe as a, a taste of the good life. It wasn't the food per se. But you know, it wouldn't be hard to get used to the delicacies of the king's table, even to the point that you might not be all that adverse to real compromise in order to maintain that style of life. In order to continue this sumptuous lifestyle, one would be maybe willing only to hum the songs of Zion, in a foreign land. He would have been paralyzed from speaking for the Lord in this foreign land. You can almost hear some of his companions as he refused the meat of the king's table. Come on, Daniel. It won't do you any harm. You can can well imagine uh, some of the jokes going around. about about him among his contemporaries who could come from Jerusalem with him. You know, if it were today, you could imagine him being ghosted and, and canceled. The subtle little pressures which can break the person who has no real sense of God's hand upon them. The snide remarks, oh, Daniel thinks he's better than us. Daniel's a a goody two-shoes. You know, he's holier than than thou. When in reality, he was being aware of the ways in which the powers of darkness seek to bring down the people of God by what we might call a little taste of the good life. The remonstrance that we often give when someone is, challenges the way uh, we are living is, well, you know, there's, not, there's nothing really wrong with it. And that on one level may oftentimes actually be true. But we never seem to ask the question, is there something actually good or, or right about it? Will it edify me? Will it edify others? Or will it, as Daniel apparently recognized with the king's delicacy, will it enslave me? The powers of darkness too often persuade us, causing us to say, you know, there's really no harm in it. And blind us to the question, is there any substantial good in it? Daniel saw the ways, the powers of dark, darkness, sought to corrupt him. Daniel also saw the ways, the power of darkness, sought to indoctrinate him. Daniel and his fellow Jewish captives were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Wow. Full scholarship, a free ride to the best university in Babylon. And truth be known, it may be one of the very best universities available in the world at that day. Three years of training so that at the end, he would have a guaranteed job in the silver service. Which was the job to have in Babylon? A free pass to become a high-ranking official to have a seat in the hanging gardens of Nebuchadnezzar. You see what's going on here? It's almost as if Satan is saying, I don't need to be in any hurry. Just give me three years in which I can begin to burn through some of their basic patterns of thinking. Just give me three years in which the whole program will be based on the literature of Babylon and the language of Babylon. Give me three years in which I can subtly indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way of thinking instead of the Jerusalem way of thinking. Three years, and these young people will be mine. Can you see what evil is intended Satan has not only the immediate power that will be his when Daniel can be indoctrinated into the gods in the literature of Babylon. If Daniel and his compatriots can be indoctrinated and if the day comes in the future when they are able to return again to Jerusalem, there will be no one fit for leadership of God's people. Daniel as he records the record of God's sovereign rule in all things, is also deeply aware of the powers of darkness. It is easy, I think, to get carried away with a great person of faith that Daniel is and exhort one and all to follow the example of Daniel in other words, dare to be a Daniel. But I think if Daniel were standing here this morning, and he were speaking to us, giving this sermon, he would quickly turn us away from such emphasis. Now, don't misunderstand me here. It's not that Daniel is not a good example of someone with faith in God. Certainly he is. And in that, in that sense, he is an example for us to, to learn from. But he would be quick to point out that the moral of the story is not his great faith. The moral of the story is the great faithfulness of his God. So if in Daniel we see a young man who was conscious of the the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth and who was shaping his destiny. And if in Daniel we see a person who had a unique sense of the powers of darkness and the manner of their activity, the final thing we need to see is the faithfulness of Daniel's God. The whole book of Daniel oozes with this message, but we can see it in some specific ways in this chapter. First, in verse 9 we read, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Daniel is ready to stand up against the subtle ways of Babylon. But the Lord was at work. He smoothed the way with Daniel's keeper. The, the, The... Listen to Daniel's, uh, (coughs) excuse me, the the keeper is willing to listen to Daniel's plea, uh, plea not because Daniel was so eloquent or because he was impressed with Daniel's grasp of good eating habits. It was because God was at work softening his heart toward Daniel. Of course, the the outcome of this 10-day trial was also the faithful hand of God. I'm not trying to make any dietary comments here, but but, but there is no way that this is the triumph of veganism or what we might call a healthy lifestyle. Notice what the text says in verse 15, talking of the four of them, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. You see, the uh, ancient values were quite different from our modern ones. Today, people go on vegan diets so that they can be lean and mean, or at least lean. Lean is what the vegan diet would tend to produce. But the ancient world, what they were looking for was fat and sleek. And so we read at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his friends were fatter than all the others. The success of Daniel's proposal to his Babylonian keepers was due to God's faithfulness, not the kale they ate. The second example of God's faithfulness we need to notice is found in verses 17 to 20. And I want to just excerpt some of that for us. Verse 17 As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. God gave all four of them exceptional knowledge and understanding of Babylonian literature and wisdom. He also gave Daniel unique ability to discern visions And dreams of all kind. In the end of their training, when they had their oral exams before the king, Nebuchadnezzar found them ten times better than all the others. As you go on to read the book of of Daniel, as wise as they were in the things of Babylon, they remained faithful to the God of Scripture. We are so familiar with the stories of Babylon, of, of Daniel and his three friends, that I think at times we fail to recognize or realize or focus on the remarkable work of the Lord's faithfulness, their testimony was. As a result, we, we miss the comfort and encouragement that we can gain for our own lives. If the Lord could keep these young men faithful to him in that situation, then he surely can keep us faithful. No matter how overwhelming our situation may seem, God is able to keep us through it. It is his work From beginning to end, and he will do it. There is one more surprising note of God's faithfulness, and it's found in the very last verse of the chapter, where we read, And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Just a historical note, the first year of of Cyrus was the year in which the decree was issued allowing the Israelites, if they wanted, to return to Israel, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple. Seventy years after Daniel and his friends were taken to Babylon, we find God's faithfulness had proved sufficient through that whole period of the exile. Babylonian kings came and went. In fact, the Babylonian empire itself was replaced by the ruling powers of the Medo-Persians in the person of Cyrus the Great. God sustained his faithful servant throughout the whole time. And the lesson for us is No matter what we face, no matter how intense the trial may be or how long it will last, when the world does its worst, God is faithful enough. I don't know about you, but when I hear this, when I think about Daniel and and what's going on, there's really just one problem that I struggle with. You see, I think the reality for most of us, maybe not all of us, but for most of us, is that when we look at our lives, we find that we're not that much like Daniel and his three friends. We are far more like the nameless multitude of Israelites who were deported along with Daniel, who ate the king's food, and in general became like the Babylonians. In many respects, we are assimilated into the world system in which we live. Too often our futures are mortgaged to it. So if the message of this book is simply, be like Daniel and all will be well, we might as well stop right now. Most of us are not Daniels. The good news of the gospel, however, is not simply that God is faithful to those who are extraordinarily faithful to him. The gospel is that a savior has come to save faithless and compromised saints like us. Our salvation rest ultimately not on our ability to remain undefiled in Babylon. Rather, it rests on the pure and undefiled sacrifice that Jesus has provided in our place. God's faithfulness is seen not only in what he does to keep his promises, but in Jesus Christ, he pays for the unfaithfulness of his children. Yes, we can sing the song of the Lord in the foreign land because in Christ we know that we have an inheritance that cannot perish kept in heaven for us. And it it's ultimately that's our hope in what who God is And what he has done, it was Daniel's hope. And our God is faithful. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the example of men like Daniel, who has shown us who you are. Lord, we we live in difficult times. I don't know that we can say that our times are more difficult than any time other in history. In fact, I don't think we can. But they are difficult. The pressures to cave are there all the time. And we struggle. We we desire to be faithful. So we pray for that work of your spirit in us to enable us to follow Jesus who alone is our Savior and Keeper. We ask this in his name. Amen.